Also, I did a platform with Oliver. And oh, it, did you? Here's the story of Oliver. He wrote to me when he was a schoolboy. Okay. So and it was an incredible... He was only about 13, and it was one of those letters you thought, whoa, this is good for a schoolboy. Um, and uh, so I, I, I wrote back to him because, so you, you know, it was, it was worth writing back to. I mean, I know that he wrote to a lot of people. The second thing is that he ended up at, wound up at university with my son, and they were <laughs> at university oh, together. And he said, oh, he says a guy called Oliver Soden. Who knew? I said, oh, God. And you know how you, you remember the name because he really stuck in, thought this boy's going to go along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's so nice. So at what point he's did he lovely. write to you? He was at Lansing College. Right. And uh, he, yes, he was about 13, mad about theatre. And right. he just wrote to people who he'd seen things or whatever. Um, I tell you who is a very, very, very good friend of his is Eileen Atkins. I think, obviously, she was one of the people who... And I think they struck up, and she's fostered him a lot, which is why the book's dedicated to her. Oh, amazing. I didn't know mm. that. So we're talking about the auto, well, the biography of Noel Coward called Masquerade by Oliver Soden, and we're talking with Patricia Hodge, who is starring in Private Lives at the Ambassador's Theatre at the moment and is a bit of a coward expert. And um, we, so we're sitting backstage at the Ambassadors for this episode of As the Actress Said to the Critic, with me, the critic, Sarah Crompton. And with me, the actress, Nancy Carroll. And any He's noises gone. off are people coming in and out. <laughs> yeah, that was his costume, sorry, I was looking the other direction. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we've come to talk about No Coward, who's the, the sort of, it's sort of a loose anniversary, isn't it, of uh, 50 years since he died in '73. Um, and quite under-celebrated, but has got this brilliant book by Oliver Soden um, about his life. And have you, what did you think of it, Patricia, when you read it? I, I think it's... Um, I mean, I said this because I did actually have the pleasure of um, interviewing Oliver recently at the Barnes uh, Literature Festival. And um, my opening line, I said, I know this word has been banded around. I'm sure it's not original, but it is a masterpiece. Um, it's a it's a very beautifully scholastically um, investigated book, and I think presented in a very original form. Yeah, yes, because it's divided into sort of nine chapters of different aspects of his life, and each is like a, a little play revealing a different aspect of Coward. And I have to say that I've always felt I didn't know that much about Coward at, at some levels. I know there's been lots of biographies of him written. But I, and some I, very I, good ones as yeah, well. Yeah, um, you know, But I tend to know him, you know, from um, the film, which I've now completely lost. From well, the, the documentary film. No. Mad about the boy. No. Uh, from in which Michael Caine. No. Michael. Oh, oh, uh, uh, <laughs> oh! In the prison. Yes. Oh. So he's the mastermind in the Italian the job. The Italian job. Oh yeah. Gosh, well prepared. I did all my theatrical research. <laughs> um, yeah, so the Italian job. So that was that's really my, um, you know, when he's old and playing up to being the master mm. and everything. Mm. Have you ever acted in any coward? Me, uh, I did two of the Tonight at Eight Thirty plays, uh, Astonished Heart, which of course no, uh, I did Astonished Heart and Still Life, upon which Brief Encounter is based or was then, yeah, based on. And I did a tiny, tiny bit of private lives in a thing that was put together. We did at Chichester for a bit called Coward, Cabaret Coward and Cocktails or something, which was a sort of review show that a director called Philip Wilson put together, um, which had loads of us in it doing bits and pieces. So it was really a sort of celebration of him, but never 
anything else. Well, I, I think Private Lives is waiting for Nancy's. And oh, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I'm lining you up. Okay. <laughs> Make no mistake. Okay. How are you finding doing it? I mean, are you enjoying doing Private Lives? Well, that, that's the word. I, well, it, enjoy, it's sort of in a masochistic kind of a way. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Yes, uh, look, how could you not? Because it's one of the great plays of the last century. I mean, how, you know, anybody doing it should be so lucky, really. Mm. But then it comes with its own um, remit. And um, it's really... I'd, it, it sounds as if one's bumping up the job in some way, but it, it's very difficult. It's, it is a real challenge because it, it turns on a hairpin all the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it requires such... Well, you know, certainly the way we wanted to do it, it, it requires such different levels of of um, immersion and you, you've got to sort of... I, th- I do think you have to make people want to be involved with the characters and superficially the characters are tiresome, mm. is the truth. Yeah. Right. It's two people that behave badly, but they're also two people who show all the frailties of passionate love. And you have to put the one against the other. And I think if the audience do get involved with them, yeah, then they will take the, you can take them anywhere. And then they'll allow you to do the preposterous things that happen. But um, there's a... It, you know, he, this is the extraordinary thing about Coward. His observation of human behaviour is quite extraordinary. And for, for women. Yeah. And there is always a case made that, oh, well, really, you know, all these women that he wrote about were homosexuals in disguise. Absolutely not. No. I do not buy into that at all. No. His best, best friends were equally women yeah. to men. And he just had this innate understanding. Yeah. Yeah. I think what's interesting that the documentary reveals about private lives particularly is that he wrote it very, very quickly. And he wrote it because I think Gertrude Lawrence had just come out of contract from something and, and she needed a job. Well, she, he promised her. Right. He had absolutely promised her he would write a play for the two of them because right. he knew. And, and again, you see, in those days, it, it is different now. People, authors very rarely, or playwrights very rarely, write for a specific person. Mm. Yeah. But then, I suppose the, the collective of actors was that much smaller because we didn't have, they didn't have television film of course but film was much more geographically specific um, and theatre was a big thing and people um, had come out of all that amazing vaudevillian training and yeah. repertory theatre and so on and were very highly skilled at what they did and their shtick and he would write for people who he really admired and yeah. who he knew would deliver the goods so yeah. in his head or this is Ralph or Murray Tempest or Lillian Braithwaite or whatever and in this case he he, he wrote it from a position of great strength because he absolutely knew how he and Gertie would play it together um, which is an advantage makes it very difficult for everybody else following it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it is I think one of the things Oliver Soden points out is that it, it, it is the most um audacious conceit when you really think about it because the funny thing about Howard the thing that fascinates me about Howard is, is that you're always pivoting on these contradictions about him that everybody sort of talks about him as um, 
traditional, really, as a writer. And then you look at the structure of private lives, and it starts with two people meeting on two hotel balconies, and they discover that they are on their honeymoons with their new partners, and they used to be married. That's the starting point. And then from that point, it it does just pivot and unfold in the most astonishing sort of technical manner. I mean, just that simplicity of two people who used to be married meeting on their honeymoon. It's a brilliant, um, brilliant conceit. It wasn't, I mean, as Oliver will tell you in his book, it wasn't an original. It had, that idea had been done right. before, oh, but right. it was, of course, the unique way in which he set it. Yeah. And um, and he happened to be, I mean, he makes out it was written very quickly. I think in the marination, oh, it, really? was, okay. it, it was slower. Yeah. But if um, any of you, are, you, you should really go... Um, the Coward Estate is run from a, a, a lovely building in Red Lion Square, and the front room of that is a is a sort of museum slash shrine, whatever. And we saw the original um, handwritten wow. uh, script of Private Lives, which oh, is lovely. just in a in a cardboard folder. Yeah, and it's written in pencil, Gosh. and to the extent it says Private Lives underlined at the top, Act One, and you look down every page, and there's po- it is absolutely fluent. Yeah, absolutely fluent with maybe one or two corrections on each page and in each case he contracts rather than expands mm. or he might alter a, an adjective or something um, but the it, it clearly just yeah. flowed out of him yeah. yeah 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 and it's interesting that people struggle with the idea of um, the second act being quite violent you know that the, the passion becomes something and I think in this current climate we perhaps, I don't know, don't necessarily, or other, the language around um, passion has changed or what it, or the boundaries of, of what is okay and what we now perceive to be domestic violence or whatever. And I think that some productions look at that in a, yeah, through a very up. modern prism. Whereas I think, as you said earlier, that it is very much an examination of passionate love and that very very thin line between anger and and uh, lust and 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 passion and the the anger when somebody doesn't quite understand or you can't quite find the words for how you feel or your frustration then it's the last frontier isn't it yeah you get to i can't there's no more words i can say whack Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah I think it's also that line, which I'm going to misquote now. I hate, uh, this is where I hate doing podcasts with Atticus. Um, so it's, um, <laughs> a woman should be struck regularly. regularly. Like, we're certain, no, that's the thing. Ah, okay. That's the thing, it gets misquoted. People say women it's, should be struck. It isn't, it's certain women. Right. So that's the specific thing to her. Yeah. Oh, right. Should you be know. struck regularly to like a gong, to isn't Lawrence, it? To, 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 to Amanda. To Amanda. To Amanda. Okay. Elliot says it to Amanda. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that's always the sort of... And that, I think, is the line that makes people worry. But that's interesting, that it is certain women. I, and I, it's within the context. I think that um, theatre should allow you um, to tell a story in all its different emotional forms. And I personally think that violence that comes out of something you're not expecting packs a bigger punch than if you, from the beginning, start to say, we are now going to do a story about violence. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, it, of course, it's, you know, it's yeah. how people wish to interpret it. Yeah. How have you decided to play? I mean, how in this production, because, because there are productions that go, you know, um, yeah, for the darker side of it, which yeah. I think actually... 
unbalances private lives. I think it makes it very hard if you don't believe that they love each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, to um, go with it. Did you have conversations around that when you were doing this? Well, um, we did start this. <laughs> I agreed to do it four years ago. Yeah, um, and we and it got delayed twice because of COVID. And then we did it for 18 months um, across the country. And then... No, sorry, we did it for six months across the country. And then that was 18 months ago. And now we yeah. come back to it. So um, I don't think there was a... No, we never t- talked conceptual about it. I think if... Um, I d- and I don't think there was ever a statement, we are going to do it like this. It was, right. you know, there you are. Those are the actors you are. Let's let's do the play. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's you and Nigel Havers. Yeah, yeah. Oh. And um, the only thing, of course, that was different was that we're that much older. I mean, yeah. that much older. Yeah. Uh, which was always the gamble. Um, and which, you know, I, I wasn't sure about. But it, it, sometimes you just jump off the cliff and say, well, let's see where it takes us. And um, and it, it seems to it seems to have been okay, but um, I think what has been said um, to us verbally, um, without our, our having made a decision, is that, that this is actually a, a sort of production that the sort of thing that Coward would have expected right. him to do. Let's put it that way. It's it's very down the line with hopefully the right level of comedy and tragedy and everything in it. We haven't done right. anything beyond. We, th- we thought the age was enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And tragedy and feeling is the deep feeling and comedy, isn't it? It's that funny mixture of, you know, the deep feeling in the in the in in all coward, and then the kind of comedy um, that comes from it. And also the other thing that struck me reading about it is that, and and indeed seeing it, is that the the, the words are written like a, a sort of music almost yeah. mm. i mean they've got a timing to them haven't yeah. they yes uh, they i mean because he was so musical we have to, i mean that was the unique that's, that's the sort of unique gift that he had was this because uh, he couldn't read music played everything in key of e flat right um but and i never realized it more than uh when it was back in the 80s i did a television production of hay fever i was in i played Myra in that and um, two days into rehearsing I remember having this sinking feeling and thinking this is not going to work it's not going to work and the reason it's not going to work there's no audience and he wrote everything it's like a rhythmic thing everything is line line yeah 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 It, it, it really has this percussive and and that's the point he knows where the laughs are coming yes and where to allow and um, it really is a piece of music that's wrought between audience and performers. Yeah. And I would say that about a huge amount of, uh, not everything, but a huge amount of what he wrote. It's interesting as well, the nature of, of, of that uh, forbidden love as well, being homosexual at a time when it was still illegal, and the whole sort of concept for him and how that sort of comes into his work about uh, how you present in public and then what you're allowed to do behind closed doors and the the visual of the balconies with the wall between them and that sort of distance and i i and i love that he uses that physically to create a social tension ultimately you know for what he must have felt with all of the people that he had fallen in love with whether it was requited or not throughout his life and then you have the prison flat 
and the intensity of that that you know you you're taken to a completely different country you're away from home it's again it's forbidden but you're shut it's away. closeted it's closeted it? yeah. and and the, the sort of intensity of that which plays out in what becomes a physical uh, conversation um for want of a better phrase but that must in some way have emulated the difference between for him between public and private and and what he felt that he could play out in mm. public and and the frustrations of that and and the frustration of not being able to express love for people publicly what that then you know in one's imagination what i imagine that the pressure that put on the pri- on the on the private relationship Absolutely. but it, but i wonder if there's something in that and but it but i always thought it was rather brilliant just the, the sort of the very image of these two separate balconies these people the longing yeah. physically separated by yeah. Architecture. Yeah, no, I think that's really well observed. I do. And it, and it, and how hard how, that whether must it's have been. conscious or subconscious. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But is it? I think. Well, we we've all watched. The, there's a new documentary about Coward um, called Mud About the Boy, which I think is really good. And I, I mean, the um, my favourite fact about Noel Coward, which I'm going to fling in at this point, is that he was one of Lilla Field's wonder children, along with Nanette de Valois who then went on to found the Royal Ballet. And I always think that to have two such sort of significant figures coming from the Vaudevillian Wonder Children is such a lovely kind of moment. Um, But what's fascinating in that documentary is how much the Italian job image of the man in the dressing gown and the master and the, the master of all these different arts was a completely built-up image, almost yeah. as a protection. Yeah, Because yeah. he couldn't ever really reveal himself. No. And, and that... I he thought was, it was a, construct, a construct, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah. Well, you know. Yeah. And I don't think I knew that at some levels. I think I'd always sort of thought he was the sort of posh person that he appeared to be. Certainly when I was first studying theatre, I think that's what I thought. Then re- you realise that he's, this is the image he's constructed because that's how he'll be acceptable. Um, absolutely. Um, although it was very camp image. I mean, he yeah. didn't he didn't shy back shy from being camp at all. No. And in fact, he fostered that campery. But that's what you get out of the book, I think, almost more than anything. It was a creation um, that was his public image, but it got very little to do with his private right. image. And people, he he didn't drink. He really drank very little at all. Uh, he smoked, of course. That was his big indulgence, and right. that's what killed him. Yeah. But. Um, he and he ate, as you would see in that uh, documentary, yeah. dreadful food. I mean, it was sausage John and mashed beans. Yes, yeah. exactly, beans on toast. Um, he he had very he 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 just loved being among friends and being a raconteur and um, yeah. and and performing privately. Did you, you, I was just going to say that what you did, Noel and Gertie, as well, the play. Yeah, did um, that affect? Your approach to private lives. It's, it's interesting that because everybody had always thought I'd done private lives, and oh, really? I never had. Right. I had been offered it, but not in never in circumstances that I felt I wanted to do it in, and yeah. so and really it wouldn't particularly bother me. You know, I didn't sort of stood in a corner weeping, thinking I'll never give my private <laughs> life. So uh, it was hilarious to be offered it when you're in your seventies. Um, <laughs> but I did this show called Noel and Gertie, which was written by Sheridan Morley, who's one the last um, biographer, biographer yeah. of Cow, and indeed his godson, as you know. Oh, wow. Um, and 
it was specifically about their relationship and the stuff, you know, having yeah. done Tonight at 8.30. Yeah, yeah. Stuff. But in fact, they only ever did three shows together. Oh, wow. They did. There is, so this massive, massive myth that's built up about yeah. them. Yeah. But really, it was only when they came into each other's orbit and they were useful to each other. Yes. And they did have a, you know, a loving friendship, but I mean, their lives were very disparate. Um, and it was really to, to show off the development of how he wrote for, for the two of them. So they did the reviews together, London Calling and everything. Right. And then they did Private Lives and then they did Tonight at 8.30. Right. Um, and I think later Gertie in America did one or two of his plays, but not where he, when he was anywhere near. Uh, so it was, we had, um, there were two of us on stage for the whole evening telling the story and we did 26 numbers. Songs, wow. This was Noel and Gertie. This was yeah. Noel Sam and Goodell. Sam and Goodell. Yes. Yeah. I did it originally at the Donmar, funnily enough. Oh, amazing. With an actor called Louis Fyand, an Australian actor. Um, and it was after that they said, we want to take you into town. And then Lewis went back to Australia and Simon Goodell was desperate to do it. So, yeah. How wonderful. So I had done scenes from Private Lives. Yeah. So leading into that, did it affect... I now cringe at the way I did those scenes in Paradise. Oh, really? Absolutely. I completely and utterly got it wrong. Of course, I was doing Gertie doing them. Yeah. Which yeah, is yeah. a slightly... Yes. So that was slightly different anyway, but it, it's, it's been a, a, a source of amusement to myself. Yeah. In, in what way did you think you did it wrong? What did you feel that you... Oh, well, because, because I think one was very caught with doing Gertie's particular intonations and things. And this is the way you get trapped, that there are recordings of the two of them. Yeah. But really you should take no notice of those recordings because it was the early days of even of recording at all. Yeah. yeah. And I think the two of them were... And they more or less said this. They were very stiff yeah. and in awe of any recording machine. So what they do is they play it for the microphone. Right. But I don't think it had much to do with the way they were doing it on the stage. Mm. Yeah. But there were certain intonations that she she used to do, very quirky intonations, and I suppose I did those. Right. But I didn't flesh them out underneath. You yeah. know, I was just doing a you know, kind of parody, really. Yeah, but yeah. anyway. It, it is... It's... What were the songs like to do? Because the, the, so the other the other famous oh, quote in Private Lives is about the potency of cheap music, isn't it? Oh, it's strange how potent cheap music is. Yeah, and and of course that's one of those lines that he wrote because he knew it would get a laugh, I guess, because everybody would feel that he was identifying with Elliot and sort of. Uh, do you think? Or, well, it may but, not have got a laugh then. Right. It may well not have got a lot he put the songs into private lives because it was the first straight play that Gertie had ever done oh, wow. she'd only ever done musicals oh. and so she said well we've got to have some music in it because that's what my audience will be expecting right and we've right, got right. so he said it when he sent her the original letter well, here's the script Gertie I hope obviously I hope you like it I shall write some little romantic theme tune yes. for it and maybe we'll do something a little bit later and it was all you know he hadn't even written something right. I'll find you at that point so then he wrote that um, and then apparently they would sit at the piano in the middle act and do about depending on how it was going do about 10 minutes oh, wow. of songs wow. the two of them um, and there's a wonderful letter that our director um, gave us in rehearsal from a very somebody that was really you know a, a staunch ally of Noel but was not afraid to ever say 
to, to critique him. And he was somebody very important in New York. Oh, no, sorry, in, in London. And he wrote and said, um, I, I saw Private Lives the other night. I, I really have to say there is no criticism I would like to throw at it. Um, uh, if I had anything to say at all, I felt that the entertainment in the middle act took us out of the play. Oh, interesting. But... Um, I wouldn't want to say that it marred the evening or anything. And I thought, yeah, that's right. You've got to be really careful. Yeah. If they suddenly became Noel and Gertie instead yeah. of... Yes. But I suppose they didn't care then. My sort of point is, I don't really believe that he thought he was writing cheap music. I, do you think he... No, no. I think he thought that the songs were were good you know in a way so that the line is is a funny line because it's it's so much quoted in relation to Coward's own music well it's a it's a wonderful I think that, that's good what, 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 what sticks out isn't it um but what were the songs like to perform because the songs they're very, all, they're they're very really, much he, he he really is rangy he yeah really yeah. gives you a big range like this um, no, you're right. Actually, I hadn't thought of that. That possibly there was an in joke there. Yeah. Possibly that would have. Yeah, strange how potent cheap cheap music is. Yeah. Oh yeah. But you, other than sort of the Gilbert and Sullivan patter songs, he was defining a new style. I mean, that was what's so interesting about the documentary when John Osborne is talking about you know the the sort of slightly wrangly beginning of their relationship where yeah, you know, Coward felt embittered by having been sidelined. But actually, what, what historically, then, of course, they were both doing was was changing the canon, really, totally. in, a, yeah. in a completely yeah. original way. Yeah. Um, and what's so, I think, brilliant about all those writers like Rattigan and Wilde and, and, and Coward is that at the end of the day, you know, we assume or audiences assume that it's style over content, but actually to play them, they are the most brilliantly human, frail, uh, flawed parts, and 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 more and interesting because of it, and, and have survived because of it. Because ultimately, an audience know exactly what's going on and exactly what those feelings are. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's why we're still doing them. Yeah, yeah. And, and also that that what they share in common is, yeah. is such a rich use of language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's. Um, it, it's it's just it celebrates yeah. the English language, doesn't it? Yeah, all of it. Yeah, and I do think. I mean, I think from as sort of from the critical perspective that the it bothers me slightly that there has been not much fuss about the fifty years. I know it's a sort of fake anniversary, but there's so much coward that I would like to see, and yeah. I I somehow think that he does get sort of stuck in his own reputation which was a false reputation you know this is that's that's that weird thing masquerade is exactly right it was a kind of false reputation that he built for himself so we think he's he's one thing you know um conventional and you know witty but slight yes um flippant yes. was always the word that was used about him and yet he's he used it about himself yeah and it is profoundly um deep in many ways, but just presented in a different thing. And I, I am interested that that, you know, 50s generation revered him. They revered the way that he worked and the, the strength of the language. They didn't think he was the thing they were trying to get rid yeah. of. They recognised that he had altered um, the form. It's interesting when, when because I did it with Joe, my husband, um, we did Astonished Heart in the first half and uh, Still Life in the second. And when you do... Two quite different but very mm. fast plays, mm. but it's the same writer. 
you do get a richness of how clever and detailed and specific and sort of magical he was, is, you know, and, and how it really rips you apart. I mean, particularly still life. It's just heart-rending oh, yeah. to play. It's just, you know... And it's it ri- beautiful. It's it is beautiful so beautiful. You know, and, and um, yeah, again, you know, it's not done enough. The Tonight at 8.30 plays are, are not done yeah. enough. Yeah, they used to get done in rep quite a lot, but you know, I think it would be lovely to to you know rediscover them now if if anybody. Yeah. Yes, if yeah. anybody we've got a whole like year. If anybody out there yes. wants to do them again, yeah. I do think that, and I think yeah. Again, it's critics. Critics said um, I, James Agate, who you know, as a critic, you always are meant to revere, but he got Private Lives completely wrong. I mean, he said. It's it's not like Wild. It won't last. It's he said that in 1930. In 1930, when it came on, he said very enjoyable, but it won't last. Broadly speaking, yeah, yeah. And um, you know, I think that it is interesting that I can't. I don't know. I suppose you're always judging things in the context of your own time, and then that has a has a kind of sense that it goes on and on. Yeah. Into other times. Uh, I think it depends. I think look, things endure if they are brilliant examinations of the human condition. If they're merely social commentary, they won't. And clearly, James Agate saw it, and quite understandably, because it was a riposte against everything that had happened in the 20s, that sort of debauchery and that everything that happened as a result of the First World War when everybody suddenly wanted to have a good time and exactly what he says, you know, blow trumpets and squeakers and enjoy the party and so yeah. on. But this just tipped over, as, as again, Oliver so cleverly explains, into what's the next decade going to bring? Is it going yeah. to be a sobering decade? Yeah. All these people that lived high on drugs for 10 years. Yeah. And there were a lot of tragedies, mm. a lot, a lot of displaced people. They'd indulged themselves too much and so on. Where are they going with their lives? Yeah. And so it, he clearly saw it as that and didn't quite realise that underneath it all, the um, the emotional life of the characters would be the thing that would endure. Yeah, keep it going. Yeah. Is there another cover part that you'd like to play with too? Um, do, do, do you know what? I've, I've never... Pe- you know, people always ask you other things. You And I've always resisted that because I think the thing you most want to do possibly is the one you'd be worst at. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's up to other people. Anyway, you can't... Can't it's not what other people ask you to do, isn't yes. it? The way that they see it's you and true. what they ask you to do, you can only be as good as that. Good. Unless you want to start being, uh, you know, not, well, there's no room for anybody to be an entrepreneur themselves anymore. And maybe Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, I, Stephen Sondheim said to me once, he said, of course, you know, you, 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 you do, uh, you, you, you have done a lot of work and somebody I can't stand, Noel Coward. And I thought, well, no, I haven't done Actually, at that point, I think yeah, I'd done yeah. Nolan Gertie, and that was about it. But he made he made it. He loathed Carl. Did he say why? Why? Yes, that's fascinating. I think he found him facile and sort of, you know, shallow and uh, just wasn't to his taste. How but funny! That yeah. is interesting because you would think I would have assumed that he he would have liked the cleverness that lies in Carl. The person, of course, who loved Carl was Harold Pinter. Oh, right. oh interesting. Didn't know that. Absolutely worshipped him. Yeah. And Coward, having, I think, the first time he saw Pinter, not understood it at all, and been, and then he got it. And then they did, you know, they had an alliance. 
Oh, really? They did, yeah. Did you do Myra in Hay Fever and uh, Betrayal in the same year? We were around the same time. Was it around, 80, well, was yeah, it no, let me think about this. I did, no, I did, I'd done Betrayal first. Okay. Uh, yes, because I was doing a Michael Frame play at the time that then I did. Copenhagen? Myra. No. No. Um, Noises off. Uh, no, no. no um, <laughs> Benefactors. You've done Benefactors. No, I haven't. No. Oh, haven't you? No. Oh, I thought you had. No. Benefactors. Yes, that's right. And I did Myra. I I think that... On television. Okay. I think it's really interesting that Pinter did, like, Howard. Because there's the... There's sort of the... The The spareness. The spareness to it. Yeah. The sense of always taking things out. Yeah. And that kind of... Structure. Structure. Which is amazing in them both. Brilliant. Patricia, thank you so much for thank talking you. to us. It's been no, so nice. I hope to... we haven't talked more about private lives than we, sh- we should have done. No, no, no. Perfect. Well, perfect tribute to Noel Coward. Yeah. So, what, with what, that... what a joy to be with you both. Thank it's really you. lovely. Uh, and so that's a goodbye from me, Nancy Carroll, the actress. And a goodbye from me, Sarah Crompton, the critic. <laughs>